Hello and welcome, Nationals fans, to the Dogcast, where our episode number is higher than the Marlins' average attendance. I'm your host, Blake Finney, and I'm El Presidente of the Victor Robles Fan Club. We have two guests for you this week. First off, uh, in a little bit, we have Byron Kerr from Masson Sports. We look ahead to the big trade deadline coming up on Tuesday, and then Tim Ryder from Metsarize joins us to look ahead to the Met series. Yes, it's not all about the trade deadline, although that is quite a big section. First, uh, we recap the series with the Marlins. Obviously, a pretty disappointing split for the team. They were coming into it still undecided about the trade deadline. They've come out with a split and still a bit undecided where a big result either way, either a sweep for the Nats, a sweep for the Nats would have been huge and probably would have cemented themselves as buyers coming up. Uh, but a series loss to the Marlins might have uh, pushed it back and kind of forced them to sell some of the other pieces, but a split leaves them in a little bit of no man's land, which doesn't really help. Uh, obviously, we'll talk with Byron in a bit about the trade deadline and their plans around that. Uh, but in terms of a player of the series for the Marlins, uh, for the Marlins series, Trey Turner bounced back from a miserable 0 for 8 series against the Brewers. Obviously, the infamous uh, not hustling out the box, didn't do anything uh, on the weird bunt in fair play and we went over that uh, the week before with former site expert Drew. Uh, but then this series went 7 for 20, home run, four runs, three RBI, and his first two steals in forever. We've been talking about it amongst ourselves at District on Deck, and the speed is Trey Turner's greatest weapon, and we haven't seen the stolen base a lot. He was one of the league leaders with Michael A. Taylor early on in the season, and just disappeared i don't know if it's being moved around the lineup he's been hitting second he's been hitting sixth he's hit as low as seventh sometimes hitting lead off if adam eaton's not in the lineup and it's been a bit hectic for turner so hopefully a little bit of consistency maybe always hitting second or first depending on whether adam eaton's in the lineup having him lower down he can do a job there it takes the pressure off him he can steal some bases ahead of the lower order hitters who are less likely to get base hits to drive him in um Hopefully a little bit of consistency there and we'll see the Trey Turner of old. He's one of the most exciting players on the Nationals when he does get going. So we'll see what he can do and we all hope he completely bounces back. And if they are going to turn it around, he's going to be a spark plug at the top of the lineup along with Adam Eaton. One Soto continues to do things, almost all of them uh, ridiculous and amazing. Six for 15 with two home runs, four runs, four RBIs. Uh, but according to some Marlins insiders, apparently that's not enough for JT Romuto. They want Soto Kiboom Plus, which, uh, yeah, I'll let them keep going with that one. Um, it's getting to the point where he's becoming a lock for Rookie of the Year. There's there's good candidates, like Acuna's doing well, Brian Anderson doing well, some of the starting pitching, like Walker Bueller, if he can stay healthy. But the way he's playing, he's hitting over 300, he's probably going to break the teenager record for home runs in the season. And it's just incredible what he's doing every single time, hitting 110 mile an hour home runs into the third deck at Marlins Park. You just run out of superlatives for Soto. It's amazing. And it really is going to affect the team's plans potentially at the trade deadline. Maybe they do deal Bryce Harper. I highly doubt it, but we'll see. But more so in the off season, if you've got, Soto there, you've got Adam Eaton under contract for a few years as well. And then you can plug in Robles or Harper or maybe look to deal Adam Eaton. 
I think I talked about that before, potentially my sizzling hot take, but you do have a lot of options with Soto, obviously. We didn't expect him to be up this soon. I think I wrote about it in start at the start of May, I think, and at that point, 2019 seemed like the best-case scenario. So uh, everything changes, and it's a huge boost. Also, I thought interesting another big source of debate during the series was Ryan Zimmerman. He went two for nine these two starts. It wasn't terrible, but he's still hitting the ball really hard again. And coming off the DL, doing that well straight off the bat is incredible. And the hits will fall. Whether he should be playing as much as he is is another matter. I think he should be starting against left-handed pitching. I think he's reversed, but I think he's hitting 300 on against left-handers. So you've got to get him in there to start. And then you can put him in against right-handers who have different splits. So we saw on we saw it on Saturday against Trevor Richards, who has really drastic lefty-righty splits, even though he's a right-hander. He's got a 300 average against right-handed batters and only a 190 against left-handed. So... That was pretty much the perfect time to get him in. And Ryan Zimmerman's good game against the Brewers came off Junior Guerra, who has pretty neutral split. So you can pick and choose your matchups. He's not a platoon bat only, but I do think Matt Adams should be getting most of the starts. We wrote an article about this on site as well, how he's been so good that you have to get him in there against most right-handers. The starting pitching actually had a really good series, and that's a positive to see. We've been struggling with starting pitching all season, aside from that. Amazing month in May. The starting pitching has been among the worst in baseball, which is a worrying trend. But in this series, nearly 25 innings, 24 and two-thirds, 22 hits, only seven and five walks and 25 strikeouts. Those are pretty good numbers to me. And that's with Tommy Malone, Gio Gonzalez, uh, and Jeremy Hellickson, who didn't look at his very, very best against the Marlins. So with those kind of numbers, it's going to be great moving forward. And Tanner Art will start on Monday against the Mets. So we saw him against the Brewers, pitch eight innings, three hits, 11 strikeouts. He was phenomenal. He worked on his two-seamer with Brandon Kinsler. That was a great relationship to see. Um, and yeah, the, the starting pitching could turn around and potentially affect the plans going into the deadline. We, um, I know the Nats were potentially looking at a starter, but now they may not with the success of the starting rotation. So... We'll see how that goes. Max being Max, <laughs> we thought he was going to get a no-hitter uh, again, but I'm sure you're all used to hearing that at this point where Max is going to throw a no-hitter, gets to the fourth inning, things start happening, and unfortunately it didn't happen, but flat-out dominance against the Marlins, who have actually done quite well against him this year, so it's good to see that. And the final note to touch on is we did see Anthony Rendon going on the paternity list, Anthony and his wife, Amanda, gave birth to their uh, their first child, a girl, Emma Kate Rendon. Uh, and some of you who follow the Twitter account saw my terrible pun that he's going to have two bags under his eyes with a newborn keeping him up at night. But somewhat concerning, we did see him go on the family emergency medical list. So there's no more details about that. We don't know what's going on. Hopefully everything's okay with the Rendones. Um, and hopefully we see him back in a, a few days. Everything's fine and not too sleep deprived from his newborn child. So we hope that everything's okay with the Rendones. I can't stress that enough. Anthony Rendon is the he's the nicest guy ever, even though he's a bit quiet around the clubhouse. So yeah, we hope for the best for the Rendones. 
Joining me now on the podcast as we look ahead to the trade deadline from Masson Sports, it's Byron Kerr. How are you doing, Byron? Hey, Blake. Good to be with you, man. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, like I said, we're looking ahead to the trade deadline, 4 o'clock Eastern on Tuesday. And I think from the outside looking in, there probably isn't a more team more fascinating than the Nationals. Um, what sense do you get from them? Which direction they're going to go? Because there's conflicting reports about whether they'll buy, sell or hold at the deadline. Yeah, that's a real good question because obviously they're a little bit under 500 now. With all that talent, you didn't expect that to be the case with this team uh, this far into the season. And judging from what Mike Rizzo has said in the press over the last couple of weeks or so, uh, I think he, he still wants to buy. And I still think he thinks that this team can make a run, even though they only have you know less than 60 games remaining to uh, to make a run at the Phillies and the Braves. And the reason I say that is because I think he feels very strongly about Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, and Bryce Harper, uh, even though Strasburg is not available right now. Uh, I, you know, He kind of looks at it as a possibility that Bryce may not be here next year, and so they got to go for it. And you know, if they were 15, 20 games out, obviously, he would sell right now. But I, I still think that he's going to buy and uh, – or Stan Pat, because we haven't really seen that much uh, in the last few hours other than what they did a couple months ago with Kelvin Herrera. But I still think he's going to make a run for the pennant, and so that might that may would still put him in the category of buying. Yeah, I think holding Pat, even though some of the fans may not necessarily agree, it makes a lot of sense with the talent on the team. If they play up to their potential, then they can make a run in the division. It might be tough, but it's... It's possible, and the kind of players that they may look to deal, you may not get a huge amount for some of the relievers, potentially. Yeah, I mean, I think they got their guy in Kelvin Herrera, which is probably the best that they were going to get, and they got him early, and they probably felt when they made that move that they would be in a much better position on July 30th than they are uh, right now. I'm sure that they are very surprised that the starting pitching has not been able to be as strong as it was in May. And, you know, they're crossing their fingers and hoping that this shot that Steven Strasburg took will get him back in the next week or so. But really, that's the bottom line that's really hurting them right now is Gio Gonzalez, Jeremy Hellickson, and even Tanner Roark, except for that last start against Milwaukee, have not been as consistent as they need them to be in the, in the back of the rotation. And that's really killing them right now. You've seen it uh, in the last couple of games against Miami where they stay in the game, but then they, you know, the offense doesn't come through and then their pitching gives up a, a big mistake in the end. So that's the thing that really hurts them. You know, what I, what I hoped for is last week, obviously when I got to talk to Tanner Roark, uh, one of the, one of the greatest sit downs I've ever had. Uh, we spent 15 minutes together. Then I went over to Kinsler's locker and spent 10 minutes with him. And I wish I could have gotten video Blake of you of, of uh, Brandon Kinsler showing me, how he was uh, throwing the pitches and how he wanted Tanner to throw the pitches because that would have been great video to show everybody maybe on mass and of how he was trying to change the way Tanner was throwing. So it really seemed to me like that Tanner has found something. And, you know, when you get eight shutout innings, you do, you do a lot right. And he can just kind of wipe the slate clean and forget about those other ones. So if he, they, they can get Strasburg back and Roark back, uh, you know, they should be okay. I just don't know what has happened. Will the story of the season be the fact that they just could never get Gio Gonzalez, you know, righted here in the last month or so? That's, you know, the starting pitching is what's really, really hurt them. And then 
when they get good starting pitching, somehow they can't get a couple of runs here and there, like against Miami this week, to just win a game three to two or three to one. So it's very frustrating. Yeah, there's always one thing going wrong. When the pitching pitches lights out, the hitting's not there. When the hitting's there, the pitching gives up runs. But yeah, it was a really interesting piece that you wrote on Masson with Roark and Kinsler working well together because they've got similar two-seamers. That's kind of their bread and butter. And uh, exactly. maybe, maybe it changed their plans somewhat because Tanner Roark's probably, if they were going to go out and get a start, he's probably the most likely candidate to go to the bullpen. He's got experience there and could be kind of a, a long man. Um, I yeah, guess the, good point. I guess the the other name to mention that's uh, especially with the series in Miami is JT Realmuto, and there's been some reports they might put Victor Robles on the table. It it kind of goes against what Rizzo has done in the past. He's obviously been reluctant to put him on the table before. Do you think that's realistic? That's a great question. I mean, that's what uh, Miami has asked for for over a year now for JT Realmuto is. Juan Soto, Victor Robles, and uh, something like that. And you're right, Mike has, has balked every single time. There's no way he's going to give up Victor Robles. And, uh, you know, from what I've read recently, it's that's cooling down a little bit. But, you know, that would be a huge key to, to find a catcher that could hit and play defense and call pitches and do everything like JT is. And he's still young for a catcher. So, I, absolutely, he is the – Top of the line catcher that's available right now. You know, I, I've told you probably heard me say million, millions of times about what the Houston Astros have been able to do with Brian McCann and getting offense and defense from a catcher in the playoffs in the National League is something that you can can differentiate you from somebody somebody else. You know, everybody's going to have a defensive catcher. Everybody's going to have a catcher that can throw guys out at second base. Everybody's going to have a catcher that can work well with the pitchers. But if you can get a catcher that can hit. In the National League, that could be huge for you for a playoff run. I just think the price has been too high, and they are worried more, Blake, about Bryce Harper leaving. That's the number one reason why Victor Robles and Juan Soto are not going to go anywhere. So that's the bottom line there. I think he would rather sacri- – you know, that's in a sense like selling in a, in a way because, you know, they are no way going to give up their two top prospects for just a catcher uh, – for the stretch drive. They they hope that they can figure out another way to be able to, to get the offense going. Yeah, it felt like uh, probably the guy that they wanted in the past few weeks was Wilson Ramos, but I guess the injury was pretty bad timing in that respect. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was all set up. I mean, Buffalo was was going to come back. We, we I saw him at the All-Star game. You know, he was walking around behind the cage and stuff during batting practice. It looked pretty good, but – yeah, as you well know, hamstrings are, can be really tricky and scary, especially for a catcher who's standing up and down, up and down hundreds of times, taking all 150 pitches or so per game. Uh, that cannot be tender. That cannot be something that you can mess with. And it was just the absolute wrong timing. And, and you know, I'm sure from a Nationals viewpoint, that's got to break everybody's hearts because remember how Wilson Ramos is – career basically ended was because of a major injury in a moment where the nationals were surging to a possible, you know, long playoff run. And that was one of those things that kind of derailed it a little bit. So it would have been a great homecoming to have him back. Perfect catcher to rent. He already knows the pitching staff, but it was just the wrong place, wrong time for that, for that injury to happen. So that's too bad. Yeah, definitely. You could see him at the home run derby helping out, uh, Bryce Harper on the other side. Uh, is that still possible? Do you think he, I don't know, 
could sneak through waivers, or are they going to look at someone potentially, I don't know, AJ Ellis or someone of that ilk? Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, if they've done the medicals on it to see how he's doing, um, you know, Mike Rizzo might take a flyer on that and just, you know, get him and pray that he's ready for late August or early September, as you said, for the stretch drive. Uh, you know, that would be taking a chance as well. How desperate is he? I mean, I'd be pretty desperate in seeing that Weeders hasn't been able to do anything offensively this year. They even sent Pedro Severino down because he hasn't been able to do it. You know, Spencer Keeboom is not considered a, a big-time hitter yet. He could do everything else. So for them, you know, to look, they need that head of the catcher kind of guy paired with Matt Matt. And you're right. I think there could be an opportunity. You know, I don't know how bad the medicals are on his hands, but if they're not too bad, maybe they would acquire him and then let him rest for a little bit and then hopefully have him by the end of August. Yeah, I think it, it would definitely make sense, but I guess we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Um, I guess the final point to touch on, if they do go selling, it, it, I think it's still at least some kind of possibility if they get the right offer. Who do you think could be the most likely to move? Yeah, you know, it sounds like you know, the Ryan Madsons or the Sean Kellys or something like that, some periphery move on the bullpen would be something they could do. Michael A. Taylor has been – you know, a part of these talks because, you know, he just hasn't been able to get playing time here. That's why Brian Goodwin was available to the Kansas City Royals is because he just wasn't getting the playing time here uh, and they were able to get something out of that. So I just don't see them selling off, uh, you know, a major cog, somebody that they can still build around like an Anthony Rendon or something like that. Uh, Victor Robles, including him, I just can't see that right now. You know, they still, as Ryan Zimmerman told us back uh, when I was, uh, in New York at the Mets series in the middle of July. You know, they still have some core guys. Obviously, this team is going to look a lot different next year, especially, Blake, if they do not make the postseason. They, you know, they'll do they'll do a lot of selling uh, after the season is over. But so I'm guessing, you know, what I'm hearing is relief pitchers could be adjusted. You know, uh, Michael A. Taylor could be a guy that could move. But I just don't see a Bryce Harper, for instance, as somebody that they would trade just to get something. I, I really feel, and I've said this a lot on the radio in the last few days, people have asked me that question about Bryce, and that I feel like Mike Rizzo wants to complete this season with Bryce Harper, get the maximum amount of time they can from him, try to resign him, of course, but if that doesn't happen, you know, he does not want to trade him right now and then throw his hands up in the air. You know, this is they, he wants to see if he can get Strasburg healthy, get Harper going, and go all the way till October first or second in Denver when they wrap up against the Rockies, and see if this team can find a way to make up six games in that time with Bryce Harper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely not impossible, and uh, it's definitely going to be a a fascinating twenty four hours or so from when we're recording. Uh, Thanks for coming on, Byron. It was great to have you on. Blake, well, your accent is so great. Where are you from? <laughs> from the south of England. All our listeners are used to it now. They love it. Oh, I love <laughs> it too, man. It's nice. It's very refreshing. And uh, I hope uh, us Americans don't sound too sleepy to you. you. You got a great accent, so it was nice to talk to you. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. All right, bud. So joining me now to look ahead to the National Series with the Mets, we've got him back on again this time Looking ahead to a different team from Metsmerized, it's Tim Ryder. How are you doing, Tim? Good, Blake. How's it going? Pretty good. Uh, 
hopefully while we're recording, nothing too uh, cosmic happens with the trade deadline. Oh, we'll see. Things are starting to stir. Uh, so like I said, Tim is here to help us look ahead to the Met series. Uh, so far, they're 44 and 59, bottom of the NO East. Uh, and it's no secret where they've gone wrong. They've got the lowest batting average in baseball. Um, to give us a quick summary of how the season's gone, it's been a while since we've seen the Mets. Yeah, yeah. It looks. It felt like we got a lot of the games out of the way early this season with the Nationals. Gave us a big break in the middle. Um, since the last time we've seen you guys, uh, without using too salty of language, the season went into the garbage. <laughs> um you know, actually, I shouldn't say that. July has been – I think the Mets are playing 500 baseball in July. But uh, on on the whole, uh, yeah, the season's been a, a major disappointment. Um, the only consistency has been out of the starting pitching. Um, that's been a pleasant surprise. But even with the injuries, I mean, it, it's just nothing's come out to uh, how, how I'm sure the front office had planned. And it's uh, – yeah, it's been, it's been a little um, – uh, a little tedious on the fan base. Um, everyone's getting a little restless. Uh, you know, I don't think anybody's looking forward to a rebuild, but here we are. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, in their last series against the the Pirates, the Mets uh, now former Met as Drupal Carrera led the way on Thursday in a twelve six win. David Freeze hit a walk off for the Pirates on Friday night to win it five four. This is always it's getting kind of pathetic now with the Saturday game. Jacob Degrom pitched great. Uh, but somehow lost again to Trevor Williams, who pitched a shutout or pitched six innings. Uh, and then, weirdly, on Sunday, Zach Wheeler was dealing and drove in the only run of the game. So, pretty standard <laughs> Mets series, then. That's right. We're taking it right back to the uh, turn of the century. It's the dead ball Mets. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, <clears throat> with DeGrom, I mean, he's he's been just fantastic. He's got an ERA of 1.8-something. Uh, he's just been terrific. I mean, we don't – honestly, the fan base feels like we don't deserve him at this point. Um, he's that good, and it's – you know, things have gotten out of hand. Wheeler, on the other hand, he's drawing a lot of trade interest. Uh, he's been outstanding this season. Uh, he, he's developed a split-finger fastball that I guess he's using as a strikeout pitch now, and the swing and miss rate is something at like 90%. Um He's just – he's really blossomed. He's finally healthy for the first time, and it's really nice to see these these strides being made. And I know I could speak for myself. I don't want to see him get traded by tomorrow. I really don't. He's got another year of control left. Um, he's really – he's just starting to, to, to blossom into the pitcher we all hoped he'd be. He was a former number six overall pick. I mean, um, he's been through so much as far as the injuries and uh, even the inconsistencies early on, but he's finally looked to put it all together and – yeah, we're, I'm personally, I'm excited for him. And, and yeah, he, he he did really well on Sunday, and he he roped a double into the right field corner. He he ripped that thing. It was it was really it was nice to see. Yeah, uh, obviously, it's been a, a bit of a theme for the Mets around this time. Uh, usually, we go into our players to watch this series, but are there actually going to be any Mets left to keep an eye on? Yeah, I, I believe Michael Conforto is a guy to keep an keep an eye on. Uh, he's our, our lone remaining all-star position player that's still in the lineup these days. Uh, he's hitting somewhere along the lines of 350 since the all-star break. He's really starting to take off. Um, Jeff McNeil, we called him up last week. And with Cabrera gone, probably going to see him at second base most of the time. Uh, he's, he's three for 12 since coming up. Um, he's shown a lot of power in the minors uh, over the last couple of seasons. Actually, he's excelled at every level in the minors, so. 
He's 26. This is pretty much his his shot to go. Um, and Ahmed Rosario, uh, he's really been swinging a very confident bat these days. Uh, I know just in the last seven days, he's only hitting like 154 with like a 445 OPS. But before that, um, really, he was starting to really blossom. And that was nice to see. I, I would expect a big series from him. And um, Brandon Nimmo, he's my call to break out again because he's been in, in a little slump. He's been striking out a bunch. And uh, he's an absolute ray of sunshine for this team right now. Yeah, I think you, you pretty much touched all the names on my list as well. Uh, <laughs> Conforto's, uh, I had him on my, had high hopes on my fantasy team, but yeah, hitting 333 over the last 15 days, three home runs, nine RBI. Um, so I think he jammed his thumb on Saturday. Is he, he going to play this series? He should. Um, he only, he was available to pinch hit when she did. Yeah, he did on Sunday. He was available to pinch hit. Um, all indications are pointing towards yes. He'll be in the lineup this week. Hmm. And yeah, Brandon Nimmo, that, he was one of the stars of the first two, two and a half months of the season. But yeah, he's been slumping lately, not 193 of the last 30 days. Uh, you mentioned the strikeouts. Is there anything in particular that's causing that? Is it just bad luck? Um, personally, I, I think that it's, it, it's come down to the league pretty much getting, uh, getting a book or, or getting, you know, getting a good feel for him. Because, of course, there's going to be holes in his swing. He's a young player. Um, he's adapting and adjusting very well just through my eyes. Um, and in the past week, I think he's back up to like a 263 average in the past seven days. And, oh, I have the numbers right here, 830 OPS. So he's back to doing what he does. And, again, the, the strikeouts are there, but he's got eight strikeouts in the last week compared to six walks. So if that's the case, we'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I guess one other, guy, one other guy to keep an eye on uh, will talk about him a bit more in depth later but Noah Syndergaard coming back um, making his first start off the DL after hand foot and mouth disease that's very <laughs> Mets isn't it oh that's I think that's the most Mets thing that can happen or has happened this this uh, this year but hey this the season's not over yet we could still outdo ourselves um, <laughs> yeah uh, you know it it's I guess it's somewhat it's not that rare for an adult to get it if they're around children but you know, like you said, only the Mets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and on the Nats side, how is Daniel Murphy going to beat the Mets this time? Oh, pick pick your poison there. He's not even he's not even all the way healthy right now, and he's still probably going to go, you know, 8 for 12 in the series. But we expect that now. And, you know, I personally, I can't speak for the whole fan base. I love Daniel Murphy. I, he's one of my favorite Mets of all time. I still root for him. Um, I think it was a mistake to let him walk away. But, you know, sure, he plays for – a division rival. I'm not going to openly root for him, but I guess I'm saying it on public on a podcast now. So there we go. I still root for Daniel Murphy. Yeah, I, I could actually see him going back to the Mets. It kind of makes sense. You've got it does. not, well, you've got Alonzo coming up at first base, but maybe Daniel Murphy for a couple of years to kind of uh, give Alonzo a bit of time. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's uh, mentioned as an option. I think that the next two months or the, throughout the rest of the season, Jeff McNeil is going to get a very, very good look because if <laughs> with this Mets ownership group, who is notoriously a, a frugal group, <laughs> um, they, they might not they, they might see McNeil as a viable, you know, he's a, he's a very good defensive second baseman, and if his bat plays at the major league level, yeah, they'd rather pay a guy that um, you know league minimum or close to it or arbitration money instead of going out and signing a Danny Murphy or a DJ LeMahieu, which he's my pick, but. 
you know, mm. this is these are the Mets. It's not going to happen. <laughs> so, which other nationals are you keeping an eye on? Other, probably other than the obvious names. Um, Juan Soto. I mean, I can't get enough of Juan Soto. He's so impressive to me. Uh, that game where he played against the Yankees, where he hit his a uh, his technical first home run, but it was actually, I believe, that was against the Yankees. Yeah, the time traveling home run where he the hit time, home exactly. run in the middle <laughs> he, of May, and I think he got called up at the end of May. So yeah, oh, just awesome. Um, he's very fun to watch. He's going to be a thorn in the Mets sides for years to come. Uh, yeah, very very exciting player. Um, you know what? I, I haven't. I must admit, I haven't checked. Is Michael Taylor back? Yeah, he's uh he's been basically the Nats' fourth outfielder. So now they've got one Soto unexpectedly. It's primarily him, Harper, and Eaton, and then Taylor and Eaton kind of rotating in and out when they see fit. Maybe Taylor comes in to face the lefty against Matt on yeah. on Monday. But yeah, yeah exactly. um, his he's gone uh, quite a bit cold with the bat lately, which not that surprising. I think he's it's a combination of reverting to his career normals, but also non-regular playing time that doesn't help anyone sure oh especially for a somewhat young player like him and he plays such a good outfield um that that's i guess I, he's killed us with the bat in the past but excuse me watching him play outfield is just it, it's a pleasure i mean it really is it, it's watching uh um, i sound biased but it's watching a carlos beltran play outfield or a juan lagaris at least from a mets fan's point of view um just graceful i, I really enjoy I, I like watching him as a player um, Rendon, I mean, <laughs> you can't go wrong with Rendon. He's another Nats player that you just, you almost, he's a, he's got Chipper Jones status where you hate him so much you respect him. That's, that's, uh, Freddie Freeman for pretty much everyone in the NL East now. For everybody. And yeah, and it's going to be, uh, the, the rookies on in Atlanta and, oh yeah, it's going to be a tough, you know, few, few years in the NL East. It's going to be some good teams. Yeah, um, I'll be interested to see what Ryan Zimmerman does. He came back from the DL about a week ago. He's been hitting the ball really hard and uh, should start against Stephen Matz on Monday with the, uh, I think, yeah, Syndergaard on Tuesday. So Adams will probably start that. Um, and there's been a lot of criticism around Ryan Zimmerman. They obviously have started him against a couple righties when Matt Adams has been having a fantastic season. I'll be interested to see how that plays out. And something the Mets aren't used to seeing, a dominant Nats bullpen. They've got Herrera, Madsen, and Kinsler dominated the back end, one earned run in the last 14 and a third innings. So I look forward to seeing that. And uh, I don't know if they'll necessarily be close games, um, although judging by the Mets offense, who knows? Exactly. Oh, it's a crapshoot. So now we're going to look ahead to each matchup individually. There's only two uh, in this two-game set, so... First up on Tuesday at 7.05 p.m. Eastern, Tanner Roark will face off against Stephen Matz. Tanner Roark, 4-12 with a 4.55 ERA. Stephen Matz with a 5-8 record and 3.79 ERA. And Stephen Matz has done okay against the Nationals this year, 0-1 with a 3.52 ERA. So uh, kind of give us a summary on Matz this season. It feels like it's been a bit hot and cold. It, it most certainly has been. I guess you could in April... Uh, he pitched to uh, um, a, like almost a five ERA. He, he was hitting his pitches, but I guess he was still having issues with focusing and keeping his head in the game and not getting too worked up when he did run into trouble. Um, Mickey Callaway and Dave Island, the pitching coach for the Mets, uh, they spoke to him and I guess they, they had him start doing a breathing regimen. 
between every batter, between every pitch, he takes one deep breath and he does the same little uh, hat pull. He pulls on on the front of his on the brim of his hat, and it seemed to keep him focused. I mean, he's had some very very nice starts. I mean, just to look in here, the ones that stand out. Uh, he went six point six ooh, six and two thirds against Arizona back in June. Um, only let up one earned run. He went seven against the Cubs. Uh, took the loss that day, but only let up two earned runs. One of them was on a, a uh, stolen home by oh Javi Baez, I believe. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome play. <laughs> um, and in just in the past month, I guess he he's like he said he's been inconsistent. Um, I guess the first two starts of this month, he only let up two earned runs, and in the three since, he's let up twelve. So uh, his ERA is back down to four. Uh, his ERA this month, I should say, is four point oh three. Uh, you know, his strikeouts are there. He's never been much of a, con- a lacking of control guy. He might have a bad start where he walks four guys, but it's not going to be a regular thing. Um, with all the trade swirl, trade rumors swirling around the team, not necessarily him. Um, I'm actually expecting a uh, a solid outing. I think that he's going to try and anchor all the, the swirling trade talk, whether it be real or not, real with Wheeler and not with to Grom and Syndergaard, but uh, yeah, I, I think that he's he's starting to come into his own. I wouldn't be surprised if he if he shows a good outing. He's trying to show all he can. Yeah, this might be lower scoring than people expect because on the other side we've got Tanner Roark, who obviously has struggled most of the season, but then against the Brewers he had a little bit of work with Brandon Kinsler. We talked about it earlier on the podcast with Byron Kerr uh, getting that two seamer down and obviously worked a great effect against the Brewers. Eight innings, three hits, no runs, one walk, and eleven strikeouts. So. Potentially against a anemic Mets offense, it's a nice chance to have a uh, a really low scoring game potentially. Yeah, and I'm it, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know the Mets have had um, success against Roark in the past. Uh, <laughs> one of the running jokes around the Mets fan base, usually on Mets Twitter, I want to say that Keith Hernandez, one of the TV announcers, said something along the lines of the Mets. Uh, Roark was getting his fill in the blank, his breasts lit by the Mets one night. Uh, he said it on Twitter. I don't know. He's new to Twitter. But he said something <laughs> very funny. And uh, so whenever the Mets face the face the Nats and whenever they take advantage of Roark, boy, you see that phrase just popping up all over Twitter once again. But, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's finally gotten to him. And he, he, he you know, he hunkers down and really has a good outing. Um like you said, he's he's had some success in, uh, against us in the past. We just tend to focus on the times that we've beat up on him, I guess. But um, yeah, no. It, uh, with the inconsistencies with both of them, I wouldn't be surprised to see if there's a uh, if both of them come out to play tomorrow. I love following Keith Hernandez on Twitter. It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's just a blast. He's uh, he's you know I was just a kid. Actually, I'll tell you a very very quick but little funny story. I was, oh, seven years old, and they traded away, the Mets traded away Gary Carter and Keith Hernandez. I'm sorry, released them both in consecutive days. This is 1990, 1990 I believe. Uh, I, I vividly remember just absolutely bawling, falling apart on the floor in tears because they traded away my two favorite players. But, yeah, you know, he, he's a legend in New York. Uh, I don't know if you've read his book. I'm Keith Hernandez, but it's terrific baseball read. Doesn't even talk about his Mets days. It talks mostly about his St. Louis Cardinals days and leading up to the trade to New York. But um, 
just fantastic baseball stories right up there with ball four. They're just excellent stories. Mm. Uh, so second up this series, we've got Tommy Malone facing off against Noah Syndergaard on Wednesday at 12.05 p.m. Eastern. So nice early start. Tommy Malone, 0-0 with a 5-4 ERA. Noah Syndergaard, 6-1 uh, with a 2.89. We talked about it before. Hand, foot, and mouth. Uh, I'll try not to giggle again, but it does seem lopsided on, on the face of it. Of uh, the matchup? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tommy Malone was a member of the Mets last year and maybe some of the year before, but I think just last year. And, you know, nothing overwhelming. He's a lefty. He's a junk ball guy. He's not going to overpower you. Uh, Syndergaard is just the opposite. <laughs> he's going to overpower you. And I'm not sure if he's going to be on some sort of leash coming off the disabled list. But, um, yeah, uh, it, it looks a little uneven uh, on, the, on the surface. Yeah, we've, uh, we've seen Tommy Malone a few times in his career do really, really well at AAA. He didn't do that great with the Mets, but he did the year before with the Twins and then comes back up to the big leagues and looks a bit overmatched and gave up three runs in the first inning against Miami. Had eight hits in total, but four scoreless innings and he looked a bit better, looked a bit more in control, but sometimes the Marlins will do that for you and kind of play to deceive, but maybe the Mets can as well. <laughs> we hope so. Uh, so have you got a prediction for this one? Um, let's go for a series split. I know the Nationals are playing for their lives right now, so we're not going to expect it to be an easy series. But um, the Mets are playing for pride, and I'd expect us to take one. I hope we, I hope they take one. Yeah, I think the, the Nats may take the first one. Hopefully, Rock can carry over that success from the Brewers, but I think it's such an uphill battle against Noah Syndergaard, even if he only goes for, say, five, six innings. Yeah, as long as the Mets can, you know, string some hits together and, and score some runs, which, like you said, is is never you're never going to know what you're going to get with this team on a day to day basis. But, you know, hopefully for one of their front line guys, they'll show up to play at least for one of them. Mm. Uh, and just kind of to round off, uh, do you have any deadline day predictions for the Mets? Are they going to sell any more players? Yes. Um, I believe, uh, I, like I, I know I, I said it before, I hope Wheeler stays. Um, I hope this whole core of pitchers stays from, from DeGrom down to Mets. That fifth spot, whether it's going to be Vargas or not, you know, that's neither here nor there. Uh, I hope the pitchers stay. I believe Devin Mesoraco could, could get traded tomorrow um, just because he's a free agent at the end of the year. He brings the, a league average bat behind the plate, and he calls a fantastic game. Um, the Mets have Thomas Nito in the minors right now. He's hitting very, very well for double-A. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he gets moved. Uh, Jose Bautista has been mentioned in rumors today. The Phillies might be interested in him. Uh, so I would keep an eye out for him. And, hey, if we can get anything for a 37-year-old waiver-wire pickup who was DFA'd after 12 games by the Braves, if we get anything at all, I think that's a win, right? Yeah, even just a, a minimal high upside prospect. Exactly. Oh, anything. If they want to give us a bucket of fried chicken, I'd be thrilled with that. I mean, great. Sure, he serves he serves a, uh, a purpose on this team right now. He brings a little veteran leadership. He's been swinging a very, very hot bat um, aside from batting average. I think his OPS is somewhere up near the high sevens or eights. I don't have it in front of me, but he's really he's, – he's playing very, very well for a guy who is supposed to be um, quote-unquote cooked in April, uh, yeah, we'll take it. And if someone has interest and they want to give us something for them, great, even better. Mm. 
Uh, so I want to say thanks to Tim for joining me. It's nice to have you back on after you helped us preview the Padre series before. And where can our listeners find you? Uh, MetsmerizedOnline.com or just at Metsmerized on Twitter. Um, we are an independent Mets site. We uh, actually, with the trade deadline up, please take keep uh, keep looking at our site for uh, not just Mets news, but MLB news as far as what's going on with the deadline. Uh, I'm also starting at uh, call to the uh, excuse me call to the pen, which is the MLB wide site on fan side. I'll be writing for that starting on August 1st. So keep an eye out for me there. Awesome, thanks, Tim. Thank you, Blake. Have a good one, dude. So I want to say thanks to both of our guests again for joining us on the Bumper Podcast. Thanks to Tim and Byron for joining us. Uh, remember to check out some of our content on site this week. We had some help from our sister sites on the Fan Sided Network to put together some interesting trade packages for Bryce Harper. Um, obviously, it doesn't look like he's going to get dealt, but it kind of gives you an idea of why they might may not deal him with some of the potentially underwhelming packages. There weren't too many blue chip prospects among that, especially considering the, the Manny Machado trade where the Orioles only really got Yusniel Diaz as the, the centerpiece and then some nice depth prospects. And we also put up a piece about the Nats top 10 all time, all time trade deadline deals. So looking at some of those that happen in June and July, obviously the Nats do a lot of their business early typically. So we had to extend the deadline window, but there are some real corkers in there and uh, it takes uh, takes me back looking at some of those 2009, like 2006, seven deals. So that's definitely worth checking out. Remember to follow us on Twitter at District on Deck. Give us a like on Facebook, District on Deck. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spreaker, and Stitcher, where you can get our episodes automatically downloaded to your phone or other device. We'll be back midweek as the Cincinnati Reds come to Nats Park. Uh, obviously, we've tramped them in the opening series of the year, and it's been all downhill since then. So. We'll see what the Nats look like against them. They're a bit resurgent under Jim Riggleman, so it should be a very interesting series. We'll see you then.